Christmas carols and to focus our hearts and minds on the Lord. I do hope you'll all be back next Sunday on Christmas Eve day. We'll have, there'll be no Bible study in the morning beforehand, but we'll have our normal morning worship service. And we think about the awe and wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And so we'll do like we did this morning, singing to the Lord, and I'll still preach Sunday morning. Then come back Sunday night on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. It's a one-hour service, and in it we will sing more Christmas carols together, but we'll observe communion, and then we'll close with candlelight. So it's a fun day. It's, it's different services. It's not like we're repeating the same service. It'll be a normal worship service on Sunday morning, just thinking about Christmas, and then the carols and candlelight and communion on Sunday evening at 5. So I hope you'll be back for both of those. Well, this morning we're continuing through the Gospel of John. And I want to ask a question as we begin. And that's simply this. When someone is in your life, how do you know they're there? I don't mean that in like a weird metaphysical way or anything here. But when someone's in your life, how do you know they're there? Like what is the evidence that someone is in your life and involved in your life? Maybe I should say like this. If someone is living with you, how do you know they're really living with you? Well, think for a minute. Perhaps for the first time you ever got a roommate. Maybe you've gone off to college or you come out of college and you have a roommate for the first time. How do you know you have a roommate? Well, perhaps you hear the music coming through the wall, hear the TV going late at night, the dishes pile up in the sink that they don't clean, right? You find more mess on the floor. I see people nodding here. I think this is striking you nervous and people and their roommates. Um, and so the, the dishes pile up, the laundry piles up. You see mess in that. You get the greetings. Hey, good morning. How are you? I hope you have a good day in class. And then you have the arguments as well, right? There's, there's very evidence, very many evidences, an unmistakable evidence that you have a roommate. How about for those of you married? How did you really know you were married once you got married? Well, it was pretty unmistakable, wasn't it? You opened your closet door and it wasn't just your clothes there anymore. There's someone else's clothes there. You have conversations with a person you're married to. And maybe something with roommates. Dishes pile up or they don't pile up. Things start to change in your life. It's unmistakable that someone is now living with you. How about for those of you with kids? Is it unmistakable that you have kids? Or do you ever have someone come to your house being like, oh, wait, you, ha- you have children? I-, I didn't know that. You know, No, there- there's evidence. There's toys everywhere. And it's like, I smell something. Oh, that's a stinky diaper. There's evidence there's a kid here. You hear the cooing. You see the smiles. It's unmistakable that a kid is in the house. Well, friends, if that is true in human relationships, do you think it should also be true that if Christ is dwelling with us in us, There should be some unmistakable evidence that he is with us. And so as we begin, I want to put a question up on the screen for us to think about. It's almost like a a pre-invitation question for us before we even get to the meat of the message. That's simply this. If I claim to know God, what unmistakable evidence is there that he really is present in my life? If I really know God, what unmistakable evidence is there that he really is present in my life? Friends, if a roommate, if there's evidence that we have a roommate living with us, or a spouse living with us, or kids are living with us, shouldn't there be, if God is dwelling with us in our lives, shouldn't there be some unmistakable evidence of that? So before we even get to the message this morning, I want you to think about this question. And so normally we give you a question at the end of the sermon for you to consider and pray about. I want us to begin with you thinking about this question before we even begin the sermon this morning. And so I want you to take a moment of silence before the Lord and simply ask the Lord, Lord, what unmistakable evidence is there that you really are in my life? As the Holy Spirit brings to mind to you evidences that he really is present in your life, I want you to praise him for that. Or if you're searching your heart going, ah, there really isn't any unmistakable evidence that Christ is in my life, why don't you use that as a prayer to the Lord saying, Lord, are you even really in my life and why is there no evidence of that. So Ira's going to play for us quietly in the background. I want you to take just about a minute in prayer now and think about this question. What is the evidence, the unmistakable evidence of Christ in my life? Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And once you do that, take a minute and just ask the Lord to let his word come alive to you this morning.
Father, we do come to you in the name of Christ this morning, not coming on any authority of our own. We dare not approach your holy of holies in our own sinfulness. But as your children, we come to you right now in the name of Christ and the authority of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to even come and say, search us, O Lord. Search our hearts. Speak to us. Teach us. O Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this day? Would you open our eyes to the wonders of your word and the truth of who you are? And Father, for the precious brothers and sisters in this room who do know you and know you in such an intimate, personal way, I pray right now their hearts are full of joy, knowing that these unmistakable evidences of you in their life is not because of them, but because of you and your grace. And Lord, I pray even this morning as we look at John 14 and we look at what difference Christ makes in us and how his presence is unmistakable, I pray you'll fill their hearts with joy and thankfulness and wonder that you are present with us. And if there's anyone in this room, perhaps, who's been going through the motions of religious stuff, going to church, praying prayers, doing stuff, but they've never really known you in an intimate, personal way, God, would you show them that this morning? In this Christmas season, would you let it be the first Christmas they know you in a personal way to where you are dwelling with them? God, would you open our eyes to who you are more this day, and we'll give you the glory, and we'll find the joy, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want us to simply see one main idea that's coming off of that question that we were just looking at. Simply this, if we know Christ, his presence in our lives will be unmistakable. If we know Christ, his presence in our lives will be unmistakable. So find John chapter 14. Find it on your Bible app on your phone or open the copy of God's Word to that. In John 14, just some context of where we are. Remember, this is a Thursday before the crucifixion. Last week before Jesus is crucified. In fact, this is the day, the evening before. We're less than 24 hours away from Jesus' crucifixion. He's with his disciples in the upper room. They're observing the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is addressing them, speaking to them, and having a conversation with them. These are his final words to them before his crucifixion. And these are really, really important truths that he is sharing with them. Last week from the first part of John 14, Drew helped us see that Jesus gives us something really good. Yes, Jesus offers us heaven. Yes, Jesus offers us direction. Yes, Jesus offers us experience and information. But Jesus gives us something much better than heaven and direction and information and experience. Jesus offers us himself, his very presence. And I hope you've thought about that this weekend and thought about, am I pursuing Christ to get something? Or am I pursuing Christ because I want to know him? And so as we continue in John 14 this morning, we're going to see that if we pursue Christ for Christ to know him, his presence in our lives will be unmistakable and his presence will, in fact, change us. So as we read the text, I want you to look for what are the evidences of his presence in our life? What are the unmistakable things that we will see if Christ is really dwelling within us? So we're going to start in John chapter 14, starting in verse 11. Can I ask you to please stand in the honor of the reading of the word of God? John 14, verse 11, reading through the end of the chapter, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. John 14, 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. 
you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Would you pray with me again? Father, once again, we say we are so thankful for your word. I thank you that you've revealed yourself. You've manifest yourself to us. We don't have to wonder who you are. So God, we thank you for your word. I pray that I would treasure it. We would all treasure it this morning and let your word come alive to us that we better understand today who you are and what it means to know you, to believe. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. So again, I want us to see this morning, if we know Christ, his presence in our lives will be un mistakable. Well, no surprise, this text is all about believing again. That's what the whole book has been about, right? John 20, 31, these are that you might believe. And so once again, this text this morning is about us believing and what difference believing makes. Start back in verses 11 and 12 and notice the repetition of believe here. Verse 11, believe me, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. The word believe that appears here three times is in the tense that means to believe and to keep on believing. It's not talking about a one-time belief in the past. It's talking about believing and keep on believing, a belief that changes us, an ongoing belief in our lives. But don't miss this, because so often we hear the word believe being addressed to non-believers. Where is Christ right now? He is in the upper room talking to his disciples. He's telling his most faithful followers, the ones who've walked with him in the good times and the bad, he's telling them, believe and keep on believing. Believe and keep on believing. Believe and keep on believing. And this belief that he's calling them to is not just intellectual. It's very real and very, very personal. Look at what he says to his disciples about this belief. Verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In that day, he's talking about after the resurrection, because they're about to go through the crucifixion and the scattering right there on that. He's saying, in that day, after I rise again, what will you know? What will you believe? He doesn't say you will know about me. Look at what he says in verse 20. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's coming into a very personal belief to where it's not just knowing about Christ, but it's knowing that Christ is in them, and they are in Christ on this. If we know Christ, if we really believe in him, there will be his presence in our life, and it'll be very real and very, very personal. And think about how personal his presence is here, and I pray we catch the wonder of it and not miss this in this text. 
that the ruler of the world, that the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who is the great I am who spoke the world into being, offers us his presence. Look at verse 16 here. This is Jesus speaking again to his disciples. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Notice the whole trinity is involved here. Jesus, God the Son, talks to God the Father and asks God the Father to send God the Spirit to his people. What's involved here? Jesus is asking for God's presence to be with his people. In fact, here in verse 16, the word that's translated in my translation, helper, and some of your translations may be the old word paraclete. I don't know if any of you, not, not parakeet, paraclete, big difference there on that one. But if you have some older translations, it'll say God will send you the paraclete. That's a Greek word, parakletos, that means the counselor, the helper, the comforter. Jesus is praying to the Father in verse 16. Father, would you send to your people the counselor, the helper, the comforter to be with them. And let me just remind us that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. This is, I just saw Star Wars just saying, this is not like Star Wars, not like the force and this impersonal thing out there. The Holy Spirit is He, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And, the God, and Jesus prays to the Father that God, this Holy Spirit, would come be with us and not just for a brief moment, verse 16, to send a helper to be with us forever. And notice what happens as we experience God's presence. Not only is it the Holy Spirit coming, but look at verse 18 as well. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's not forsaking them, but he's promising his very presence. He he says with certainty, I will come to you. So friends, don't miss this. The whole God has involved, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus promised to us he would send us the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the comforter. But he's saying, I myself will also be present with you, but there is even more than that. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He promises that the person who really knows Christ will have the Holy Spirit as the counselor, the comforter, the helper, will have the presence of Christ, and will also have the love of the Father in their lives. The whole Trinity is involved in being present with God's people and being involved in their lives. And if that is not stunning enough for us, look at verse 23. I love this verse. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And look at this phrase. We will come to him and make our home with him. For followers of Christ, Jesus says the Father will love that person, and we the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit will come to them and not come for a visit in their lives. Like, look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our what? Our home with him. This idea of a permanent dwelling that God is not coming for a visit to leave, so you can go live like you want to live at that point. God is coming to take a permanent residence in the lives of his followers. And the whole Trinity is involved in being present here with his people. Don't miss the significance of that. The great I am, the one who spoke and the universe came into being, the one who's described in the scriptures as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is holy, 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 the one who the foundations shake in his presence says, for you, my children, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to make my home with you. And friends, that's permanent. He's not ever going to leave us. No, not never. He says, I will love you and I the creator God will make my home with you. So friends, think back to my opening questions. If a roommate's presence is unmistakable in your life, 
and your spouse's presence is unmistakable in your life, and children's presence in your home is unmistakable in your life, when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity says, we will come and make our home with you, don't you think that would be unmistakable in our lives if God says, I'm making my home with you? The proximity of God in our lives will be unmistakable. And if we know Christ in this very real personal way, it will be unmistakable. So what's unmistakable about it? What changes? We could do probably a 52-week series on that and not even scratch the surface, right? What changes if we have God's presence in our lives? Well, a lot will, and there's a lot that we could think of on this that would be unmistakable evidence. But I believe our text shows us six different evidences of him having his home with us. Now, I'm normally not a list fan because, well, we don't remember lists, right? If I ask you tomorrow to tell me the six things I'm about to mention, we probably can't. We, our brains don't typically remember a list on this. But it's really helpful here in this text, not as an exhaustive list, but a list to kind of give us a glimpse of what happens if God really takes up residence in our lives. If God makes his home with us and comes to us and says, I'm never going to leave you, but you've got the Holy Spirit as your comforter, your counselor, your God. You have the presence of Christ and you have the Father pouring out his love on you. If that is happening in your lives as God makes his home with you, there should be some things that change. And so I think our text here gives us six examples of ways that our lives change. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's some things that I hope we will look at to consider. Back to that first question I had you praying about. Is there unmistakable evidence that God is really in your life? Now, notice the unmistakable evidence we're about to look at is not that you pray a prayer. Do you walk an aisle and get baptized? That's not, do you come to church every Sunday? Do you have your quiet time every day? That's not the unmistakable evidence our text presents. Now, those aren't bad things, but if we really know Christ, if the Holy Spirit is really our comforter, counselor, helper, if God is really making his home with us permanently, there's some things that will change in our lives, and there's six examples in this text for us of that. The first thing that I believe we see an example of unmistakable evidence is we will do God's works. We will do God's works. Look at verse number 12 here in our text. Jesus says to you, truly, truly, so this is really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now it gets more stunning. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Wait, Jesus just said to his followers, you're going to do greater works than I have done. How can we do greater works than Jesus? Well, it's not greater in quality, friends. It's it's greater in quantity here, okay? If you think about it, Jesus had just a few years of his earthly ministry. But we have a much longer span of life as God's people to do his works on this. Everything we see God doing through Jesus, God is going to continue to do through his people. doesn't mean we'll all have the same role in that. We could do a whole series on this sometime, but God's given each of us spiritual gifts, and they're different. The way God works through you may be different than the way God works through the person next to you or me because by God's design in the body of Christ, we don't all have the same gifts. But God has given us gifts as he works through us. And so one evidence of his presence in our life is he's going to keep working through us to do the type works that Christ did. And so the question that that bears for you as you think about am I in Christ and am I really experiencing God's presence in unmistakable ways, what works do you see God doing through you? How do you see God using your gifts that he and his sovereign plan has assigned to you to work out things for his kingdom? That's things like, are you seeing non-believers come to understand the gospel? He's hear the gospel through you. Are you seeing believers as God works through you built up in their faith? Are you through you and your gifts that God has given to you seeing people discouraged, encouraged in the gospel? People who are hurting, comforted. People who have needs being met. How is God working through you with the gifts and talents he's given you? How is he working through you to do the type of works 
that Christ himself would do. If we have Christ's presence in our life, if we really know him, there'll be unmistakable evidence, and one of those will be he will be working through us. But there's a second one here, another unmistakable evidence that, that God is dwelling in us, is there'll be answers to prayer. There will be answered prayer. Not just us praying, not checking off a list, I'm having a quiet time, but there will be answered prayer. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we need a little clarification here, because asking anything in my name doesn't mean, okay, God, I want a bigger house tomorrow. I want a brand new car. I want to raise. I want everyone who's sick to be healed. And you said if I ask anything, you're going to do it. So in Jesus' name, do it all right now. Boom. That's not what this text is about here. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Too often it means for a lot of us nothing more than we just stick a phrase on the end of it because we know we're supposed to pray in Jesus' name, amen. And we kind of pass over. If you ever, have you ever noticed sometimes we rush that part of our prayers? We kind of pray, thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. It's just we kind of like rush through this like formality. Then to pray in Jesus' name is not a formula. It means to pray in light of everything Christ represents. It means to pray in accordance with all that his name represents. It's praying God's will. It's praying for the things that God desires. That's why, friends, I'd encourage you on occasion to not end your prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it kind of sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? But why not pray at the beginning of prayer? Father, we come to you in the name of Christ and his authority, praying for the things that the word of God tells us to pray for. And just end it with amen and see what happens. It's kind of hard to sometimes because we've made it so formulaic. But change up the wording to realize that we're praying in accordance with all Christ's name represents. So the stuff, things, the type of things we were mentioning earlier, God answers prayer. When we pray for lost to be saved, when we pray for believers to be encouraged, to grow in their faith, when we pray for needs to be met, to pray and trust God in his sovereign will and see him answer the prayers of his people. So friends, if we know Christ, his presence in our lives will be unmistakable. And one evidence of that as he answers prayers consistent with his will, prayers that we see in the scripture. So again, the question for us is, when was the last time we saw God answer a specific prayer of ours? When was the last time we saw God answering prayers that we're praying for his kingdom, his glory? Not prayers just for me and what I want, but prayers for his kingdom and his glory and the people that are his followers that he loves so much. So two unmistakable evidences, God will work through us, his works, and answer prayer. The third evidence I see in this text of Christ really dwelling within us is we have strength to obey. We have strength to obey God and walk in holiness. This idea is repeated over and over. Look at three verses here in this text on this because this idea is really important. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you maybe will keep my commandments if you're having a good day. No. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then go down to verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Friends, we don't need advanced doctoral degrees to understand these three verses. We may not want to understand these verses, but they're very clear and very simple. Go back to verse 21 in particular. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. What does it mean to have his commands? Yes, it is knowledge, but to have his commands means we take it into our inmost being. To have his commands means we don't just brush them off. Well, I know what the Ten Commandments say. I know what Jesus required. But we internalize it. We take it in. But it's not just enough to have them. In verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them. Well, keeping them is the obvious doing them. But it also includes in that treasuring them, guarding them, keeping them close to us. 
And so Jesus is saying, if you really love me, you have them, you take all my words, my commands, internalize them, and you keep them, you treasure them, you value them, and you do them. So friends, if we really are in Christ, if we really have God taking up residence in us, he says we will keep his commandments. Now, we know from the totality of Scripture, we're not going to do that perfectly in this life. 1 John 1 is very clear. If anyone says he has no sin, the truth is not in him, and he deceives himself. So if anyone ever tells you they're perfect, run, because they're lying to you. The Scripture is very clear on that. But what this is talking about here is not perfection, but a desire in our heart to obey God. What this is talking about is a conviction when we do fall and a growth in godliness. Friends, if God is really taking up residence in us, if he is making his home with us, don't you expect that we'll begin to want to desire what he desires? I mean, think about it. When you lived with your roommates in college, or now that you live with your spouse, don't you find yourself doing more of the same things they do? Your mannerisms become the same. Your words become often the same. You can finish each other's thoughts and stuff because you live together. If the creator of the universe, the Almighty, is living with you, wouldn't you expect as children we would begin to reflect more of who he is? And this is what it's talking about, that if we really have God in us, we will desire to obey. When we do fall short, there'll be quick conviction. You ever done something wrong with someone you live with? I see this with our kids a good bit. They do something wrong, they turn and look at you. Did they see? Because you're right there. Friends, if we understand that God is living with us, when we fall short and we will, we understand he's there. And there's conviction that he gives on that. But he also gives grace to walk in holiness. And when we are tempted, he gives a way out. It's an incredible promise of scripture. So friends, if we know Christ's presence in our lives will be unmistakable, we will find strength to obey. So again, the question for this is, do you see yourself growing in godliness? Are you any more godly now than you were six months ago? A year ago? Five years ago? Because if God is really dwelling with you, things should be changing. And what is changing in your life? Do you find more desire to obey, more conviction when you fall, more grace to walk in holiness? So again, I don't like lists, but I think it's all throughout this text here. If we really are in Christ, if we really know him, his presence will be unmistakable in him working through us and him answering prayers, him giving us strength to obey. But a fourth one here, he'll give us grace to know him more. We will grow in knowing God. We will grow in our understanding of who he is here. Verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Then in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is truth, when it says the Spirit of truth, it's not just the Spirit who is truth, it's the Spirit who communicates truth. That He, the Holy Spirit, will communicate truth to us. He will teach us who God is. We see this again in verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest means to appear, to disclose, to reveal. That Jesus is promising to show us who he is. So again, the longer you've lived with your roommates, the longer you've been married to your spouse, don't you know them better now than you did a few years ago? God is saying, the more I live with you, the more you will know me because I will manifest, I will reveal to you who I am. And how does it do that? Verse 26 shows us very clearly. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You, The Holy Spirit will bring to mind Scripture, the thoughts of God, the conviction of sin, the glory of God. Just think about it with your roommates or with your spouse or with your kids. If they forget to do something, we're pretty good at reminding each other about that. Hey, you said you were going to take out the trash. Hey, you said you were going to change that dirty diaper. Hey, don't forget to clean that. You know, we're good about reminding each other of stuff that needs to be done. 
And here we have the Holy Spirit taking up residence within us, saying, I will teach you all things. I will bring to your remembrance all that Jesus has said. He is reminding us of who he is and teaching us more about God. So the question this one raises for us is simply, are we listening? When was the last time we had the Holy Spirit open our eyes to new insights of who God is? As we read the scripture, when was the last time the scripture came alive to us and we went, whoa, Lord, I've walked with you for years, but I've never seen that. Thanks for showing me this insight into who he is. Do we know more of who God is now than we did a year ago or five years ago? And if we know Christ, his presence will be unmistakable. He will work through us. We will see answered prayers. We will see obedience and growth in obedience. We see growth in knowledge of him. But a fifth one, if he's really taking up residence in us, friends, we'll have peace. We'll have peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus offers us a peace that is not dependent upon our external circumstances. Realize again what he's saying to the disciples. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. In just a few hours, one of the disciples is going to take a sword and try to lop off the ear of someone who is trying to come to get Jesus. I mean, they're about to be in a place where the disciples are going to be afraid and scattered out. This is not the peaceful moment in their lives. Yet Jesus says to them, I am giving you peace. Guess what? You're about to get scattered and you're going to be afraid. And I'm going to get killed in 24 hours. But guess what? I'm giving you peace, even though all that is happening. Because he's offering himself Even when life is in turmoil, we have his presence. We have his peace because we have him. So again, if we know Christ, is there unmistakable evidence in our lives of his presence because of peace? So friends, again, the question for us, do we have peace? When we're going through trials and suffering, is there still peace in our heart? When the world around us is in chaos, is there peace in our heart? When things don't turn out like we want them to turn out, is there peace? Even when our friends and others around us seem to be in tumult, is there peace in our heart? There's one more. Again, the unmistakable evidence that we see in this text, God works through us, he answers prayer, he grows us in our desire to obey, he grows us in knowing who he is, he gives us peace. The last one, unmistakable evidence, he gives us joy in his plans, parentheses, even when they don't make sense to us. He gives us joy in his plans, even when they do not make sense to us. Look at verse 28. Again, the disciples aren't real happy at this point, because Jesus says, I'm going away. And they're not like, yay, yippee, Jesus is leaving, we're on our own now. They're not excited about this, but look at what he says about him going away in verse 28 here. He says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. This next phrase, if you love me, and there's another way of describing if they really believe, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. He said, you would rejoice. I'm leaving you and you should rejoice in that. And why would they rejoice in that? Because it's God's perfect plan, but also because good is coming to them through this. God's perfect plan deserves rejoicing in, and also good's coming to them. They're going to get the Holy Spirit through this. It's not the plan they wanted. If Jesus let them vote and say, okay, guys, my proposal is that I'm going to leave and go back to the Father. I'm going to die tomorrow, three days rising, and then I'm going back to the Father. Are y'all good with the up or down, yes or no vote? I can assure you the disciples would have been like, yay, great plan, Jesus. They would be coming up with plan B very quickly and having a democratic majority to change Jesus' plan here. But even though it's not what they want, Jesus says to them, verse 28, rejoice in that. They can trust him. He's good. God is sovereign. And even when it's not their dream plan, they can rejoice in it because God is good and working all things for the good of his people and for his glory in this. So friends, if we have Christ in us, if we know him, his presence in our lives will be unmistakable. It's not an exhaustive list. There's many other things we could look to, but there's, these are examples for us. And so is there in our lives... God working through us, using the gifts he's given us? Is there evidence in our lives of him answering prayer? 
Is there evidence in our lives of Him giving us grace to obey, even the commands we don't want to obey? Is there evidence in our lives of us knowing more of who He is with each passing year? Is there peace in our heart when the world is falling apart? Is there joy in His plans, even when it's not our plans for that? Friends, if we know Christ, His presence will be unmistakable. If we have Him in us, if we have Him abiding in us, if we have the Holy Spirit filling us, if the love of the Father is being poured out on us, if God is making His home with us, our lives won't be the same. And there will be unmistakable evidence of him working in our lives. So that leads to back to the question I asked you at the beginning. That I have to ask myself. What is the unmistakable evidence in our life that God is really working in us? That I really am a child of God. That the Holy Spirit really is dwelling in me. That the love of the Father is being poured out on me. As you think about those things, the question becomes, do we know Christ? Do we believe? Not... Do we pray a prayer, walk an aisle, get baptized? But have we believed in Christ in such a way that he has taken up resonance within us and he is changing us? Are we experiencing Emmanuel, what we celebrate Christmas, God with us? Have we really, really experienced what he said in verse 23? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home Friends, this Christmas season is a great time to ask that question. Has God made his home in my life? Because if he has, you have a lot to celebrate this Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a song we sing. It's not just some arbitrary thing. But it's God saying, I am making my home with you and I'm changing. We have much to celebrate and much to be thankful for this Christmas. But if in your life doesn't show unmistakable evidence of God's presence, what better time of year to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I've never believed, but I want to believe. Or Lord, I've played the church game. I've done this stuff. I've prayed the prayers. I go through the motions, but I don't really understand what it looks like to be loved by you, my Father, and for you to come to me and make your home with me. I don't understand. I want that this Christmas. I pray this Christmas would be the Christmas that Emmanuel, God with you, becomes really, really real. As we close, I want to read you the lyrics of an old hymn that's really fitting. It's a hymn that some of you know. It was written in 1933 called I Serve a Risen Savior. I think you may better know it as He Lives. But listen to the lyrics of this. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'll let Ashley do the singing for us. I'll do the reading of the hymn lyrics for us on this one. But listen to this because it's everything John 14 is about. And so as you listen to these words of this hymn, I want you to ask the question, is, can I say this? Could I sing this with integrity knowing this is true in my life? Here's how it goes. I serve a risen Savior. He is in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. That, friends, is John 14. 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Would you pray with me? Father, what an incredible promise that you've given to us. Lord, then when we really believe in you, you don't leave us at a distance. You don't just save us so we have some intellectual knowledge, so we get a get-out-of-hell-free card and then go live as we want to live. God, your desire, your plan is for us to intimately know you, for you to come take up resonance with us, for us to be in you, you to be in us, and for us to have a living relationship with you, our creator. Father, I pray for myself and these brothers and sisters who know you in this room. That God, this Christmas season, as we see the nativities and the manger scenes, as we think about Emmanuel, God, that we would treasure that. 
is not just you with us from a distance, but you've come to make your home with us in us. And so what I pray this week for all those in this room who are, who are followers of you, that God, that they would see your unmistakable evidence of being present in their lives. In the good times and the bad over the next week, would you remind them that you are present with them? Would you remind them that you love them? Would you remind them that the counselor, the comforter, the helper, the paraclete is right there in them and with them? And would you let them find joy in that and strength in that and many opportunities to praise you? So Lord, would you turn our hearts to you this Christmas week to see you at work in us, to see those evidences of you? And would you confirm in us that you really are at work? Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself this week that, God, you would work through us, that we would see you working using the gifts you've given us to make you known. And, Lord, even as we think about the Christmas holidays, if we're around people who don't know you, would you work through us to be your mouthpiece even this week? Father, would you answer prayers? I pray this week that everyone who knows you in this room would get to see you answer a very specific prayer, to see you move and to have their faith strength and knowing that you really do hear and you really do answer. Father, I pray as well, Lord, that we would see in all of our lives this week just evidence of peace, no matter what's happening, but in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, that our hearts would be full of peace, our hearts would be full of joy in your plan, that our hearts would be just full of you this week. Lord, if there's anyone here who's going through the motions and doesn't really believe and has never experienced this, God, don't let them do about their Christmas week unchanged. God, I pray you pursue them hard this week. Would you convict them? Would you show them their need of you? And would you draw them close to you so that this week, they would experience perhaps for the first time your love for them and you making your home with them. And God, will give you the praise for whatever you choose to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?